Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa. And this is Daniel Winter. Hi, Mark. How are you doing since the two days ago that we saw each other? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's good that we met recently because we haven't recorded recently, but here's hoping we get back on the schedule. Yeah, it's been, been a, a little while. Lots of bugs, <laughs> both, both physical and both literal and, and uh, figurative, getting into the uh, into the system and, and interfering with ability to game in person. But uh, we, we managed to, to get a game in this last weekend, which was good fun. Uh, we'll talk a little bit a little bit about that in what we've been playing. Right. So, Daniel, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? I think I'm nearly done with Elden Ring. Cue the the clickbait. Uh, I'm I'm quitting Elden Ring. <laughs> uh, oh, I, th- I think I'm nearly done one way or another. Basically, I am up to the penultimate boss. Uh, that is widely regarded as the most difficult in the game. I spent oh, I've died some, somewhere between fifty and hundred times to this one boss, and I very nearly gave it up. I, I was I was recently relating a similar experience I had with. Hollow Knight, I think, which I think, I think you've played, right? Yeah, I like Hollow Knight. Yeah, I mean, it's a game I love. I mean, the the beautiful two D artwork, it's uh, excellent discovery and exploration, and the combat is great. And I one hundred percented that game, like exploring every nook and cranny. Loved it. Got up to the final boss, and just didn't have it in me to throw myself against that wall. I, I knew I could beat the final boss, but then in, in, in looking at trilogy, I realized is oh, there's, a, there's an ultra final boss beyond that that you have to beat in the same life to get the true ending. And I knew I didn't have it in me, so I just dropped it and walked away from the game, which isn't to negate the enjoyment I had with the game up to that point. Uh, and basically, I think I'm at the same point with Elden Ring. So I'm, I'm giving it one more shot. I went up. I found a, a little, a few little side areas to explore and level up a little bit more. So I've come back for round two, but beyond that, I think this game. I think Elden Ring. I, I've had a great time with it. I'm just become pretty disillusioned with the way it treats difficulty. The the only means of of furthering engagement with the game is just increasing the difficulty. Like that, that's the only toggle that it has. Just make it more and more difficult. You know, as as it goes on. Uh, rather than finding other interesting ways of engaging with the game, uh, so yeah, so, so great. I mean, I've, I've sunk over 100 hours into it, so that uh, be, be what it may, I, I've still enjoyed the game. But uh, the, the, I've, as I've heard a few people say, the ending is a little souring. I was uh, listening to a podcast called called Acts of the Blood God. It's a um, RPG exclusive podcast, and it's really good. And they were talking extensively about Elden Ring on the latest episode, and <laughs> just sounded like an alien language to me. Uh, it certainly <laughs> hasn't gotten its claws into me. I feel like I can come back to it, but you know, I so rarely 100% a game anyway, so I don't think I would do anything except explore in a surface level in that game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you certainly can find some enjoyment there, uh, but. It rarely values people who just dive all the way in and immerse themselves. And this is the only game I've played basically for over two months now. And I'm kind of looking forward to escaping that. <laughs> uh, so what, what have you been playing, Mark? Yeah, I think I mentioned uh, maybe in the live stream the other day, I mentioned that I've been trying the survivalists. It's pretty cute. Uh, it sort of fits within that survival craft 
mode that I've kind of been in with Don't Starve, etc. It's, uh, it's seemingly fairly deep, and I've only just scratched the surface of that. But I feel like, you know, that's a kind of game I can take and leave whenever the mood strikes me. It doesn't have any narrative that I can discern that keeps me uh, stuck into it. The other game that I've been getting into recently uh, has really got me is part of the two-part collection that's currently on Xbox Game Pass called The Nonary Games is 999. It's a, I don't know if it was 3DS, I'm pretty sure it wasn't 3D, (laughs) but it was one of those dual screen systems on Nintendo. It's been re-released in this package, and I had actually played the sequel, Virtue's Last Reward, to completion, 100% completion, one of my rare 100%s, on PS Vita. So 999, I hadn't cracked, and I just recently started it, and it's fantastic. I... Maybe we'll talk about it in the future, so I won't give anything away, but it's essentially <laughs> a string. It's a visual novel uh, right. with a string yeah. of escape rooms, and it's just really got its hooks right in me. That's, it's not really a genre I've ever really messed with, but I have heard positive things about that one. It's probably If I was ever to try one, a virtual novel game, that would uh, probably be where I'd start, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's rare in the... You wouldn't call it exactly a, a, virtu- a visual novel game because most visual novels don't really have strong gameplay to them. Just some binary choices here and there. But this one has incredibly strong gameplay. Like the escape rooms are really purpose-built and the engine is fairly serviceable. Would have been nice to have that touch that the DS gave you, but they made a fairly good transition into the, the console. And it's actually looking pretty good for an up-res game on uh, 1080p. I'm playing it on the on the Xbox One in the basement uh, while, while I exercise here. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying that, and hopefully we'll get to talk about it in the future. Nice. So I guess the uh, visual novels work well for the exercising because it's a relatively low impact in terms of what you, of the input it's not like uh, timing based or anything yeah i'm really just treating it like a tv series you know i'm just mm. watching the latest episode and uh, <laughs> it is actually kind of episodic like that and unlike a lot of games you might think this one actually has some replayability because there's different routes that you can take mm. and you can't actually 100 percent the game until you replay it and pursue some of those alternate routes so really recommend it that way Cool. Not that I have much time to replay games these days, but uh, I always appreciate when when games get a little bit meta in how they approach that. Like the, uh, I think we've, we discussed the near near Automata uh, right. series. Did some fun stuff with that. But I, I thought I, I've not been playing much other than Elden Ring. But I have started m- missing a little bit. Uh, mostly when I've been playing with my daughter around. Started diving into Bug Snacks. This came out last year, I think, as a PlayStation exclusive, but is now uh, on other platforms and on Game Pass. So I've been messing with that a little bit. It's a little exploration game, catching monsters. It's a sort of a, a Pokemon style setup, I guess, but it, the, the monsters are sort of snack creatures. So you've got a, a walking burger that's just wandering around with curly fries for legs. And, and like Pokemon, they just say their names over and over. So I think it's a, a bunga. Which my, which my daughter is, as, uh, assumes is a rude word. <laughs> but it just walks around going bunga, bunga, bunga. So she, she, she's pretty quickly um, really enjoying that, which is, which is uh, fun to watch. I've heard that it goes to some very dark places. 
as in there is dark knowledge that cannot be unlearnt about what bug snacks are, but I assuming will be go over my daughter's head. So I think we can both appreciate it on different levels. <laughs> you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but I was thinking the other day, I mean, everyone who listens to this show knows how big of shills we are for Xbox Game Pass. Yep, but throw a coin in just, the Game Pass jar. But uh, I was remarking about how really exceptional Game Pass is for weird-ass indie games. Mm. Like, it has so many good ones. We just talked about, you know, Bug Snacks, 999, Norco. There's a game that just came out called Sleeper something oh sleep, sleep a citizen yeah i'm hearing great things about that i'm looking forward yeah, to checking i'm it out. really interested in trying that out has all, some like dice is... management elements so that right. could be, i think it'll be fun <laughs> i wonder if it's similar to that tharsis game that i played yeah a that's, while how it was, ago. that's what i was was thinking yeah yeah so really if you like weird weird ass <laughs> indie games that go to dark <laughs> places you're in the right spot yeah, it's great for for trying games that you wouldn't might not otherwise take a chance on that are sort of unknown quantities uh and and, and let you try them out so yeah i'm really enjoying that format okay i'll talk about one more game that i've been playing recently before we talk about the one we we played jointly Mm -hmm. i picked up a copy of abandon all artichokes from former guest of my previous podcast tesco's games so abandon all artichokes from uh, emma larkins it's a very very adorable game it's not Strictly a children's game, but uh, I think it just goes over really well with with children and uh, has been going... It's a family game, yeah. Yeah, has been going gangbusters with my family. Uh, they've been asking to play it over and over, though it's surprisingly complex as a, as they call it, a deck wrecking game. It's like a <laughs> deck building game in reverse, as you got to get, get rid of all the artichokes, as you might imagine. And it goes to some really interesting places with some not very obvious strategic choices in the mix. So I was surprised by that, how much depth it had. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating exercise in game design, really zeroing in on that one sort of, like in, in most deck building games, there's that obligatory card that lets you trash other cards from your deck. And that's just one small element or one sort of strategy you can possibly take. But this is zero is on just that as the complete, focus of the game uh which is always something i've always struggled with in in deck building games i've always wanted to build my deck as big as possible with like just a huge spread of of unique cards but so this sort of forces me to to embrace the the destructive side and culling your deck so but uh, with it with every there's so many unique cards in there that all combo in interesting ways so you're going to see some different plays each time so yeah it was, it was good fun i just tried i only played it once recently for the first time but yeah quite enjoyed it yeah it's the constant struggle between engine building and executing on a strategy it always gets me i always spend <laughs> way too much time on the engine building speaking of what game did we play together on the weekend Yes, well, this might be a new record for game between um, the, the time between picking up a game and actually getting it to the table. It, it did not have any time on the shelf of shame. Uh, that is Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, the new sort of spin-off standalone sequel <laughs> to to the uh, well-renowned Terraforming Mars. But this is a it's a smaller box. I mean, sensibly, it's the a card-based version of Terraforming Mars. Though obviously, the original had a lot of cards in it, 
But this is streamlining all those extraneous bits on the board and other mechanics and just focusing on the cards, basically. Yeah, I had actually had this for a little while, longer than you, maybe a couple of months. And I'd gotten it to the table a couple of times or really, you know, half of a game two or three times with my 10 year old. And uh, it turns out that we had been playing it totally wrong because there was a couple of really intrinsic rules that we were missing, such as you're limited in playing the same role, making the same role card choice back to back, which really mixes up the game. It sort of reminded me of how Scythe makes you do that, how it makes you change up the rules mm, yes. there. And that, that made for interesting sort of strategic choices that its closest cousin, if you want to call it that, uh, Race for the Galaxy, uh, really doesn't have. You know, you can you can just spam, <laughs> spam on a roll in Race for the Galaxy all you want. <laughs> but this game, you you kind of have to read what the other guys are doing. And I kind of felt like we 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 sort of alternated each other, the the party of players that we had there, which was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I think. Obviously, we're all relatively new to the game, but I can see experienced players really playing mind games with each other, trying to anticipate what you're each going to play. Uh, and, and you have a little more information because there's only five options, and what you know, one of them is always out because you, guess, you can't repeat. So there's a little bit of, of prediction and, and 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 mind games going on there. I think we'll save a lot of some of our. We won't go too deep into it because I, I think there's a good chance we might cover this at some point or yeah. one, some form of terraforming Mars, but uh, it left a good impression on me. I, I've always liked Race to the Galaxy, and this is basically that, but with more cube pushing. You're not just play like you actually have resources to tra- keep track of, and actual cubes and currency, and uh, rather than everything being cards, which uh, I always appreciate. So it's a little less abstracted, I guess. I would like to ta- talk about this title at length in the future, for sure. Yes, and I think, I mean, I don't know that it will still be the case by the time this podcast goes live, but the app version of Terraforming Mars is currently free on the Epic Game Store, which I have downloaded but not tried yet, but very, very keen to to check that out. Yeah, it's quite good. I've had it for a number of months on other platforms, and now I have it on too. (laughs) It's it's quite good. They're constantly improving it, and the um, AI is pretty darn good nowadays. used to be really bad. Has, uh, has good cross-play too, so uh, all the more reason to have it on multiple platforms, I guess. <laughs> Excellent. Shall we uh, start talking about our, our main game, our main yeah, event? Yeah, let's, let's mosey along to the, the feature, feature game. <laughs> okay, so this episode we are uh, taking a trip to along the Great Western Trail, designed by Alexander Pfister, and originally came out in 2016, but recently had a re-release, a big shiny coat of paint on a second edition that we've uh, mostly been mostly been exper- experiencing the second edition. Right, yeah, the second edition just came out in 2021, so relatively new, and it's got art by uh, Chris Quilliams. And is published by Egger Spiele, among others, uh, depending on your territory. Uh, you know, I haven't played this game in physical in the second edition, but I have in the original. And uh, a lot of the components do seem fairly consistent. So I, I can imagine the, the game feel of this uh, in, in real life. But we've been playing on Board Game Arena. Yes, it literally dropped this last week uh, on Snow. 
has a full release on, on Board Game Arena and then plays quite nicely. It's mostly where I've been playing it. I also did play a couple of games when it first came out. My memories of that is pretty hazy. I seem to recall it not have, leaving great impressions. I think part of that may have been the, the, the art treatment on the original edition was very grey and brown. <laughs> uh, I think I think uh, Chris Williams, the artist there, must be. I, I don't think he was the artist on the original because um, th- th- that's really one of the bi- the big changes is a, a the, the fresh coat of paint and new new artwork for the characters and a little more color in general across the board. So I think that's that's certainly a nice treatment that helps me <laughs> immerse myself a little bit more. Yeah, color in a few different ways. <laughs> the <laughs> the most salient uh, detail I remember about the original box art is the really imposing picture of not one, not one grim looking white guy, but three <laughs> grim looking white guys staring at you. And of course, those represent the um, worker types, which are pretty critical to the game. But uh, in this version, they've been updated to be uh, much more diverse and a lot less similar. And I think that's gonna that definitely draws me in much more than than the old version. Something about those those three severe faces was just so uncanny valley. It reminded me of the Polar Express. <laughs> just uh, it looked it looked like CG renders or something. It was something just really left me uncomfortable. I mean, other than the fact that it was three three white dudes just here to exploit the West. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, there's other improvements as well. But uh, before we get into that, let's talk about what type of game this is. So this is a really unique game. Uh, of course, we mentioned it's an Alexander Pfister game, so it blends a lot of different elements. Some people have called this a deck-building game. Others have called it a hand-management game. I think both are true to various degrees and, and, and pretty important. Of course, it's an economic game. Uh, you're not really wrangling cows, per se, as, as you're sort of wheeling and dealing them, buying them and selling them. You are transporting them as well. That's part of the economic strategy. And it's a very interesting rondelle, but not a straightforward one because there's branching paths. So in terms of mechanics, this is a real mixed bag and a really interesting balance of mechanisms for sure. Yeah, I've heard some people regard it as a bit of a sandbox. There are a lot of different moving pieces, a lot of systems to engage with. You don't quite have the freedom of a true sandbox game, like some of the, like in the name, the publisher of Roads and Boats. This You do have that core loop that you're forced around. You're following the the trail around around the board and taking actions along that. But you have do have a lot of agency as to where you stop what actions you engage with, and what strategies you're going to take along the way. But yeah, it, 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 I, I hadn't really clicked that it is very much like a rondelle, the way you're sort of moving along this sequence of, of action spaces on, on this loop. It's, it, it's interesting because it feels like it's a different game at the beginning of the game to the middle and the end. And uh, you do have some freedom in the sense that there are basically i don't know three three and a bit overall strategies to the game and you're probably gonna succeed or fail based on how you blend one or more of those i don't think you're gonna succeed just by spamming on one but the west it's like a geographic map of unsettled if you want to call it that um of course it was inhabited (laughs) by various peoples 
but it's much more wide open in, at the beginning of the game. And the, the map gets more and more populated with buildings that the players choose. And it initially seems a lot like a worker placement game, but it's not in the sense that you can't just go anywhere you want to. You have to follow these paths of which there are several branching paths and, and breaking points. And eventually, as you build these buildings, you can kind of create choke points intentionally to stymie your opponents. And also these general hazards come up, including geographical hazards along these three areas. I think there's like the floodplains, and then there's the desert, and then there's the Rocky Canyon. And then there's a very specific area where in the original edition, it was American Indians. And in the updated edition, they've changed it to bandits or marauding various people who (laughs) pass by this route here. So it gets quite intense and tricky as the game develops. Yeah, it's a very cluttered board, even at the beginning, uh, because the the way this sort of this path meanders around the board, it sort of snakes back and forth and splits and comes together again. And it, it's not particularly intuitive, I found, to, to read. It might be a little better in, in person, but at least at a glance, it's very hard to read the general flow of that. It's, you start off with just a couple of buildings scattered around the board. Then as you, you gradually fill in more, each player adding their own buildings and more hazards appearing, you try, you try and navigate this and, and find the best route between it, avoiding the... The, the 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 tolls <laughs> that the, the hazards will will will, pay, will force you to pay, so it can, it can be a little tough to plan ahead without f- focusing very carefully on on the layout of those tiles. Talking about the graphic design of the board a little bit, you're right. There are these paths, but it's not inherently clear, sort of even what directions they go in a lot of the times, uh, save for these really really teeny tiny arrows, <laughs> which help you direct which way you're supposed to go down the various paths. Not such a big deal early on in the game when you have a lot of uh, unobstructed paths to go down, but as it gets uh, more populated, it gets more and more complex. The other challenge that a lot of new players to this game are going to face is the iconography. This game has some pretty intense usage of iconography, and it's not exactly how it all hangs together uh, until you know how absolutely every piece of the game <laughs> fits together. And I think that's going to be a big frustration point to a lot of novice players of this game. I wouldn't suggest it for a casual group. I'd say leave it to the real board game enthusiasts, strategy game enthusiasts. I, I, I was going to say that, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a, a plus that it's language independence. So it, it doesn't matter for us, obviously, playing on BGA, but sitting at a table you wouldn't be worried about being upside down and trying to, to read all the different effects of the buildings because there might be 20 different buildings uh, and with different effects in, in a game. So it's just, it really is just a matter of interpreting those symbols. And some of them make sense, like the, the, the picture of a cow means you have the chance to buy more cows. But some of the others don't read as particularly intuitive. Like to, the symbol for having to pay a gold is a green hand. And this, the symbol for having to pay two gold. So, oh, sorry, I, got it, I think I got it the wrong way around, which is kind of my point that I think it, green is two gold and a black hand is one gold. I think. So, yeah, that's a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre distinction. I think you you were saying 
why don't they just put the dollar value down? Yeah, yeah, it was a little, a little confusing. But... Maybe it's because like some versions, some expansions, they intend to modify those values. Maybe they spike up based on certain points, so they wanted a visual indicator rather than a fixed value. But but still, you're right. It's it's not inherently clear. And I guess that's my main criticism about the graphic design is that while once you know it, it works, even the function of the buildings, which are on these tiny little tiles, you're going to have to get your face right up into and <laughs> squint at to remember exactly what that piece is supposed to do, especially if your eyesight is not the best. <laughs> so sure, sure, you don't have to read a lot, but uh, you still have to zoom in to see what's going on. Yeah, the, the, the symbology doesn't really read particularly well, I, I, I think. But we mentioned there was it's basically three different systems. Uh, that's kind of represented by the three types of assistants that you can ha- that you can hire to help you. So you've got your your cowboys that help you buy more cows. So you have this you're managing a hand, you're managing a deck of cards, but they are all just cows with a number value on them. They have a color and a number value, and that's all that matters. So it's not a traditional deck building game. You're not playing cards in your hand. You just have cards. You're basically playing set collection in your hand, and that's it. Yeah, they have no special abilities. They're essentially like poker cards in terms of readability. Uh, Mm. You you know what you got in your hands very easily at a glance, which is uh, a kudos to that for sure. Yes, yeah, because all the the colors have the same. All the green cards have one value, or the black cards have one value, etc. You've got your builders who, who help you build more and more powerful buildings on on along the trail uh that you have to that might take a few different rounds to upgrade some of them like some of the, the most expensive buildings require more builders than, than is possible to even have so you have to like upgrade it over several rounds then you've got your train conductors i guess uh which is you is another little mini game along the side you're pushing a train along this track representing the 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 journey from kansas to new york i think it is right and, and places beyond but i think new york is where you stop building station upgrades or named station upgrades anyways Yes, yeah. So that that's all in service of this this core loop that each time you're going around along the trail and each time you're hitting the end of the trail at Kansas and selling all the cows in your hand. So you've spent the entire loop managing and swapping cards in and out of your hand trying to get this the best showcase of cows that you have so you can sell them in Kansas. And so basically each card, you, you want each card in your hand to be unique. If you have multiples of the same card, they don't count. So the more multiples of unique cards that you have, you it increases the value when you sell them at Kansas and you get some money for that. You can, you move, you can put a little disc along a city, depending on how, uh, depending on the, on the top value of those cows. And then back to the start to get more cows, I guess. <laughs> I really like that part of the gameplay is that unlike you know unlike a lot of card games like poker where you are encouraged to create sets of cards this game rewards you for having the greatest variety of cards Mm. um, which is a nice very obvious clear strategy once you explain it to people and executing it on it is not hard strategically to do but finding the right opportunities to do so is where where the challenge lies and you're given 
surprising amount of opportunity to manage the cards that are in your hand before you get from your starting position to Kansas City. Uh, so it balances. Yeah, lots of opportunities to to switch them out, but obviously every every stop you make is action opportunity. So how long do you want to take to maximum? Do you want to do, do you want to just get to Kansas and make do with a relatively cheap hand of cards and get going again, or take your time and spend several more turns getting a a, a really optimal hand and to get more, better value for your cards? So. It, I, th- I think that's really one of the strong points here is that it's not a traditional deck building game. I know we've spoken a bit about some of the recent oh, hybrid deck builders like Lost Ruins of Arnak that I, I still feel that it's trying to force traditional deck building mechanics and traditional worker placement mechanics sort of together and they're trying to do both at the same time. You're managing your hand, but you're not having to play cards. You don't you don't lose anything in trying to force a traditional deck building game. If you know what I mean. Unlike um, Arnak, where it's really half of the game is is the deck building. This is you know just one of multiple legs on this beast that you're riding down the trail. <laughs> so there are various balance uh, balancing acts you can do. You you can engage in the deck building as much or as little as you want to, and you can engage in hand management to a different degree. And those are aspects of the same hamburger patty, if you want to call it that. Uh, but <laughs> you, 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 how you engage in them is really up to you. And there are so many other mechanisms in this game that it becomes a real tenuous balancing act that has a lot of different sides, unlike Arnak or Dune Imp- uh, Imperium, I think is the other uh, deck building worker placement game. You know, the aspect I really like about this game is that core loop is there. It's a literal loop, like you just said, but it's also intrinsically tied into the game length, as in you and the other players decide how long you want this game to be, how fast you want it to go. Because as players finish the loop, of course, you do uh, earn more money each time you complete the loop. You also put more workers out into this vertical grid and you're pushing down you're pushing down this emblem which acts as the game clock so if you keep hitting that if you keep ringing that bell you are driving the game to a close faster and faster and faster and sometimes you're going to want to hold back so that you can engine build a little bit more and just that balance of of counterbalancing those elements is really um, fascinating and it's really the heart of the game in my opinion yeah it, it very much is player run in how in in the pacing of it basically though interestingly uh, the, you could have a player that tries to to rush the game to end and, and repeatedly run run to canvas repeatedly uh, sorry Kansas <laughs> Kansas um and have everyone else try and want to take things a little more slowly but there there are a lot of checks and balances to stop you from rushing the game or trying to repeat the same action over and over again you can't really just invest in one mechanic here and focus on that at the while neglecting everything else there are a few punishing mechanics here that are you're not really a trap to fall into more of a just a, a 
a cautionary tale, I think. They don't like trying to pre- prevent you from taking certain actions. <laughs> right. So we talked about those three assistant types. So the uh, so of those three assistant types, the, the cowboy is really there for you to help wrangle and get different types of cattle into your hand. And the more you have, essentially, the, the greater variety of cattle and the higher value of cattle you can uh, acquire, which makes your deck, of course, that much more valuable when it comes to uh, sale time at Kansas City. So that's pretty critical. There's the building assistant, which helps you access higher level buildings, of which I think there's something like, what, 12 or 16 building types that everyone has access right? to. Yeah. But yeah. they're also random, remember, too. Like, they're all double-sided, and it's randomized which ones you get each game. Is it randomized for each player, or is it yes. randomized for one, and then that affects everyone else? Yeah, every, everyone has the same buildings, but it's randomized which ones they're going to be each game. Right. So you, you need more uh, engineers, more builders, essentially, to build those higher-level buildings, which have stronger effects. Although you can build higher-level buildings on top of your pre-existing ones that you've put down in some of the empty slots on the map, uh, which is very useful once the map starts getting filled up. (laughs) And the last assistant type, the engineer, is going to help you get your locomotive down this track from Kansas City to New York, which affects some of these bonuses that you achieve uh, at the end of the game and also some actions you can take during the course of the game, such as putting down these station upgrades. So it's a little hard to explain. I recommend going to BGG and finding a picture of it. But basically, you have this locomotive that you want to essentially push forward. The number of engineers you have is going to multiply how far forward you can go, depending on the type of actions you take and how many times you take them. But that's not everything. And, and I really, I really made some early mistakes when I played this on BGA with randos. I, I just thought getting the locomotive far was um, a reward in its own case, but it's really not because you have to balance that with having a really high value hand of cows at the end of your run, essentially. And Basically, you can place these bonus tokens down further down a track based on how much you sell your cows for. So you can't just keep selling your cows for five, five bucks, six bucks, eight bucks every round. Um, you you want to get it further and further, 10 bucks, 12, 16, 20 eventually. And you can't really do that unless you're evolving the type of cows you have in your corral, if you want to call it that, your deck. And you're pushing that locomotive forward. So if you're going to pursue that strategy, you really have to really pursue two types of assistance at the very least. Yeah, it it can be quite punishing because when when you you deliver a certain value of cows, say value six, you get six money, you you put a disc on the city for six six points, but you can't go back to that city. Every time you go to Kansas, it has to be a different value. Uh, and if you can't reach a, a threshold of a, you can't, if you can't hit, hit a new threshold of a city you haven't been to yet, you have to basically stay in Kansas, which gives you negative points. Yeah, uh, it's so really that, that's quite really punishing. Sh- yeah, so I mean, it, I, th- I think that's the sort of thing that someone's just going to fall into once, though. It's not, it's not the case that if you're playing badly, it's going to keep happening. It's more of there to pr- 
to discourage you from doing that in the first place. This game really is something of a locomotive in of itself in that there's a lot of moving pieces and like you, you put you push one piece and two more things move as well like if everything is connected in here and no no one sort of mechanic is separate and standalone they all are interacting with the others so the trains benefit selling cows but also certificates perhaps and i mean the build the buildings obviously influence everything in the game and so it is it's, it's quite interesting it's this real sort of plot and like locomotive engine they're trying to trying to figure out how it works if i pull this lever what happens uh, at least in the first few games it's quite fascinating <laughs> yeah it's a very interesting game in that it, you you really do have to balance at least two or three of the various mechanisms to really get anywhere in this game and it's a little bit punishing that much inertia is built into the game because the board gets more and more filled out because the other players are advancing further and further down the locomotive line and because um, people are gaining assistance uh, and gaining cows, you know, the game has nowhere to go, but up to towards a climax point. And that is well, very train exciting. <laughs> right. The, the train is building up speed for sure. Well, that is very exciting from uh, a gameplay point if everyone's on the same level but you know if you're a novice you're gonna hit that wall pretty fast and you're gonna you're you're gonna be pretty miserable until your your the game comes to a a, a resounding uh, crashing end um, so for me learning this game relearning this game I definitely had to muddle about <laughs> a lot and uh, yeah you like with most games you're gonna want to enlist the aid of someone you know someone you can trust that will teach you a holistic way to play the game, uh, balancing all the elements. Uh, it's it's not a simple nut to crack, this game. Yeah, I suspect that's partly why I had rough impressions of it, whether uh, whether I just had a, had a bad teach or just something hadn't clicked and then seeing the 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 full scope of it and i or i i just i probably played badly i'm assuming it really does take a couple of turns and i said it, it can be punishing but more in the sense of there are lessons you have to learn once once you've learned those lessons and you, you've sort of mastered the system and you can really feel like you're you're the, you're the engineer of this train and sort of moving through it seamlessly and finding optimal systems uh like i, I a few a few of the sort of side mechanics felt very extraneous and I, I was really curious i was really confused as to why they were even there like the, the hazards basically like why would you why would you ever go through these hazards and why and why would you want to remove them like what's the push pull there but there are i, I hadn't even realized that if you put a building beyond these hazards they give you an even better uh action basically they, they level up the action of whatever building you put there so if you can find a way to game certain hazards and not have any ha not have that type of hazard coming out regularly you can get a, a really powerful building that only you can use yeah i mean mechanically it's pretty clear like why you would want to collect a hazard or a bandit token primarily to complete these um, challenges and to earn the meager amount of victory points that's printed on each. But you're right, thematically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, other than maybe you're trying to, quote unquote, civilize 
the Wild West. It's very imperialistic and colonistic mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that way. Uh, you can't get away from that fact in terms it's unfortunately of a bit of a mainstay of uh, Fister's games, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a colonizer, uh, or colonizer lover anyway, which is, that's a common theme in games. So, uh, so I get it. In this game, you know, you kind of have to push that uh, mechanism so you can get some uh, jack-in-the-box uh, franchises up in that ga- canyon over there <laughs> eventually, right? Speaking of objectives, in one of my various failures <laughs> in learning, <laughs> learning this game, I bought into objectives in a big way early on, and it really came to hurt me because um, objectives are hard. So there's these cards which you can optionally collect very much like a lot of games have collect this many types of typically uh, either cows or hazards or station upgrades some combination of each like um, you know build a upgrade in New York or something like that or put a put a token down in New York I should say or have two station upgrades or have one orange and one green bandit obviously when you complete that at the end of the game you earn a certain number of points but unbeknownst to me is that if you fail to complete those you lose a certain number of points I don't know if that's automatically the fact but another factor that was unbeknownst to me of course not thoroughly reading the rules is that (laughs) the objectives actually go into your deck you start the game with one so that doesn't go in your deck I don't believe but the rest that you acquire go into your deck and they eventually pull out, and they're robbing one space of a cow. So when that comes up, you don't have a cow. It's a big bummer. <laughs> and I think if you actually, it, they, each of the objectives does have a secondary bonus effect, which is rather nice. You know, like it maybe lets you swap out cards out of your hand. But uh, I believe the mechanism is if you utilize that ability then you're committing to that objective, which might be very hard to do, especially near the end of the game, or if you haven't been building towards that type of strategy. Yeah, so if you leave them in your deck, uh, they're obviously taking up space in your hand, but they're not counting towards negative points if you fail to complete it. Whereas you play it for that bonus effect, it might be gold or recycling your cards, uh, or moving a train, then you're basically committing and betting on the fact that you are going to complete this objective, and then you still get the same amount of points if you complete it, but then you that's when you lose points if you fail to complete it. So again, that's another one of those checks and balances that's really there to stop you from over-investing in any one particular element of the game. You can't just fill it up. You can't just yeah. grab all of the objective cards at every opportunity. It's a bit weird, though, because like other than the first objective you get, you can basically ignore the objectives altogether. And I think that's what I would recommend a new novice gamer of GWT to do first time out, because it 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 does have it does punish you as much as it rewards you, punishes you more initially than it rewards you. Yeah, I mean that that is one of the extraneous systems I, I I'd first sort of disregarded but i think there there is for, for advanced play there really there really, there really is some combos to be found there because like i said you can play those for for a, a benefit and if you think you can beat it if you think you can complete the objective and most of those are things like the uh 
most of those are things you're going to otherwise be trying to do anyway, like the, the hazards. I mean, the hazards just give you straight up points if you if you clear them, but some of them also contribute to objectives. And if you also have some buildings that uh, go along with those hazards, then you're getting combos off of that. And so you could create a really efficient little loop there if you decide to go that way. Yeah, that's right. If you can thread that needle multiple times in that manner, of course, there's there is a strong benefit. But it's very difficult to do, especially because you aren't allowed to share the conditions of those objectives. So if you collected two <laughs> bandit tokens and you had two objectives that call for bandit tokens, you can't use the same tokens to fulfill no, no. both objectives. So that part is a very salient point to uh, remember as well. I think I fell on my face not having realized that. And again, another part of why you need to diversify somewhat. You can't just focus on bandits. <laughs> you can't let you can't, the whole game just, just clear, clearing out bandits. You, I mean, you'll, they'll, they'll, the gate, they'll clear out. Like There won't be any bandits left at some point um, very quickly. So you have to spread yourself out a little bit. You can't just hire cowboys and get new cows because then your train will be so far behind that you won't be able to pay to, to, to move it along. Uh, so yeah, there are so many ways in w- sort of trying to encouraging you to sort of diversify your, your market a little bit there. Yeah. Speaking of diversifying, I don't think we've really mentioned it yet, but you each player has their own player board, which you can use to customize your gameplay experience. Basically, we said um, as you complete those deliveries to Kansas City, you will be given an opportunity to take these tokens off of your board, kind of like a scythe in that way. You're taking something off of your board, placing it out onto the main board, and that unlocks an ability or an advantage that you previously didn't have. And the initial set are fairly minor. They're these secondary secondary abilities. Instead of collecting one gold, you collect two gold. Or instead of cycling one card, you can cycle two cards. That one's super useful, in my opinion. But as you go further down the railroad track, there are these uber-powerful ones that allow you to increase your hand size. That's exceptionally powerful in a game where <laughs> you know every, every card <laughs> matters. And I think another one lets you travel further down yes. the routes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So instead of traversing three action spaces you can traverse four or five those are really powerful and they give you a lot of options in terms of customizing your direction and strategy and of course you can do upgrade one upgrade up another upgrade another upgrade so you can kind of tune your path towards playing this game i found that really really gratifying and really satisfying to to upgrade yourself as well not just your deck thought that was a cool mechanism yeah your engine always feels a slightly different game to game as to what because you're never going to be able to get all the discs out so it's always a little different as to how you're customizing your board like there, there is one, one of the the actions you can unlock is the ability to trash cards out of your deck and I, i've never actually done that I, I i keep taking that action to leaving that as an option and i've never quite gotten around to doing it because there's always so many other like sometimes it just feels better to cycle your deck rather than paying money to trash them. Did you ever do that at all? I noticed that ability on the track really late in my gameplay experiences. Mm. I have like 
four or five GWT games going right now, even <laughs> same. <laughs> in Board Game Arena. And I've yet to try that strategy out, but I, I intend to try it out in my next go out because I'm still not very good at this game. <laughs> but uh, I think I did okay against you uh, when you and I played on stream the other day. It was, it was closer than I thought. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I thought you were going to cream me, but I got, I think I got like three quarters of your score, which is not. It's a, it's a real point bad. salad, so it can be hard to predict where the, where those points are going to come from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Another way you can customize your gameplay is you can upgrade these stations along the track. So at various distances, usually in between cities, there are these stations where you can place uh, another one of your discs and uh, secondarily, if you opt to, I, I think you need to pay some money as well. But if you pay some money, leave a round disc, and you can also <laughs> optionally sacrifice a assistant. You can sacrifice any one of the assistants. You don't need a specific kind, I don't believe. But if you do, you might get a, a permanent upgrade, such as there are these things called certificates that let you increase the value of your cow sale at the uh, when you reach Kansas City and you get a, a permanent one. Usually, you earn them and they go away. But in this case, you, you gain an extra one buck, essentially, every time you go, which is rather nice. So that's an interesting option, too. And you, you gain a few points for completing those station upgrades as well. Yeah, I mean, it requires like three different resources and losing a, 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 an assistant is huge. Those, those cost quite a bit of money, but the, the benefits are, are quite powerful there too. So it's a really, real push-pull system in trying to, 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 to optimize your engine there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I earned a few points from that. <laughs> so yeah, there's obviously a wide variety of strategies here. You always have to diversify somewhat, but there are so many different areas to focus on that every game is, is going to feel somewhat different. But I, I don't, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface in what this game has to offer strategically because in, all, in the games I've played so far, no one's played the highest value of buildings. Like, like there's barely been any buildings on the board, it's felt like. No one's made it to New York that I've seen, like the, the final city that you can sell cows to. No one's even moved their train along the, the second, like the, the, the track actually goes along the top edge of the board and then go, and then turns and goes down, goes down the, the side. No one's ever even hit that corner that I've seen. So it feels like there's so much more that this game has to offer that we're not even seeing yet. But it, it feels like this there's the great wide open west. Like you can see these broad strategies beyond that uh, we, we, we've yet to, to figure out. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree with you there that you and I, I don't think we're we're certainly masters at this game. <laughs> at this game, we haven't mastered it after the handful of times we've played it, which is good and bad, right? Like it's it's I I love a deep game that you can keep coming back to and get better at, but others are going to find uh, very daunting. It's not a immediate thing that you can wrap your head around very easily. But um, yeah, Alexander Fister, he's not known to make simple games. That said, you know, you could look at that another way. Maybe that provides a great value in replayability in that you can play the game over and over and learn new things each time and become better at certain aspects of the game. I myself will probably just try and get good at a couple of the different <laughs> areas and keep pushing at that. And maybe, maybe you're not intended to ever reach all of those 
depths of uh, <laughs> go to the you know the furthest end of each of those strategies each game right like maybe it'll happen once in a blue moon but uh, it's nice to know that those are there to keep to pushing strive towards yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, it's, it's, we had an interesting discussion the other day about how, like, it feels like we've barely scratched the surface here. We're no, by no means pros, so it, d- it doesn't feel like we have anything meaningful to say in terms of how balanced this is, how strategically uh, rigid this is. But, I mean, we've played several games now. We've, we've had a great time, I feel. And, I mean, most people that might be as many times as they ever play a game in person. So, it, it's, I think... Having having played several times, it certainly intrigued me enough to want to dive into it more, wanting wanting to explore it. And I think that's mo- just about what all you can expect. From, from I mean, not every game has to be a, a forever game, <laughs> but I, I, this this does show enough promise to me to want to to look into it more. And so I I, I hope this it might be enough to at least encourage someone to try it if they've not had the chance yet. Right. Yeah, if we're giving our overall impressions, I would be very similar to that. I would say that I don't love this game. Yeah, I don't feel like it's exactly my type of game. That said, there's so many so many aspects of this game that I do enjoy, and I think it really is a rewarding experience for those who want to invest the time to learn the ins and outs of a game. So in that sense, yeah, I think it's a very worthy game, and I, I certainly want to keep playing it and want to keep challenging it and improving my abilities in a game and in, in that sense uh, it's it's uh, great that the game allows you to do that yeah i mean i i, I mentioned before that I've, I've heard people refer to it as a sandbox it doesn't quite have the freedom of that but it does have a little bit of the development like as as the game goes on and the buildings are coming out and it, it does feel like it's, it's sort of growing like a real world the, the 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 board that you develop as a group the way it's a, a, the buildings are getting placed down. The trains are moving around. The the hazards are coming and going. So it does feel a little more relatively yeah, sort of it's, living, it's a breathing dynamic. world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so absolutely. I think that feels quite quite exciting, to be honest. Yeah, we haven't even talked about expansions yet. Of which I played the expansion for the first edition one time. I really have not a very clear recollection of how that was, but uh, I know that there are. A few expansions planned for this 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 game. I think it's it's the start of a, a real series, right? Well, yeah. So there's one expansion for the for the first edition that I've not played. I believe that they are coming out with the, a second edition version of that. But beyond that, they've actually announced new standalone versions of this. So there's a, tr- a trilogy of three different versions of the same game that have been compared to Ticket to Ride maps or 18xx maps. There. So sometime later this year, there is going to be a version of this set in Argentina. Very similar mechanics, but like a different map layout, probably a few tweaks to the rules just to shake things up a little bit. And then next year, in theory, we're going to have a game set in New Zealand. I, obviously, as an Australian, I have some rivalry <laughs> with New Zealand, but uh, it, it, it's a very, very uh, heartfelt one. So I, I'm quite, actually quite excited to check out that edition. I think you're trading sheep instead of instead of cows. <laughs> Wonder if there'll be any hobbits in that one. <laughs> yes, hobbits, hobbits trading sheep and uh, making pies. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about that. I, I always like it when a game takes you to a different place, especially outside of america or north america yep. so that'll Absolutely. be interesting yeah that's what's, what's one thing here like i don't have a particular attachment 
to the West. And it is interesting. It's not the the classic sort of fetishized version of the West that you see. Like I've, I've enjoyed the odd game of Bang and like Western Legend is, is big now. There are, there are those gunslinging sort of tavern ragtime games that are, that are quite popular. But this is very much the more mundane aspects of the West. But I mean, there are, I mean, there are some harmful stereotypes in that still, the, the capitalist uh, exploitation, as we discussed. But it's not the, the typical shiny, exciting West that we're used to seeing. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah, there's no shootouts that I can recall in this one or, <laughs> or train robberies. But there are trains and there are horses and there, there are saloons, I suppose. You could probably build <laughs> one. But uh, yeah, I, I, I much prefer this uh, second edition that's done away with the Indian First Nations here in Canada stereotypes of being villains right or detractors i think it was you in theory you were trading with them but i mean either way it's sort of erasing part of the of real history i think right and we already talked about how those three main assistant types have been diversified yes which is nice they're much easier to tell apart because you don't just have <laughs> the color of the back of the token to help you distinguish who from who <laughs> so that's nice to see yes yeah no i did appreciate that i mean i was reminded actually that this is quite similar in many ways to maracaibo uh a game i played a couple of times but it, but also bounced off of another fist game that basically has a loop where you're moving around a loop taking actions on that loop while manipulating several side tracks basically but that one really doubles down on the on the colonial elements you're also sort of jostling for the favor of the three colonizing forces. I wasn't really a fan of, of, of that theme, to be honest, but that way. It just tasted in my mouth. Board games still haven't learned the lessons of, <laughs> of fetishizing colonization and exploitation uh, and capitalism. But, you know, they can't solve every problem uh, with every new edition. Yeah, they, they sanded off a few of the rough edges with this one. There are, there are going to be... There, there are some issues that run a lot deeper, but I don't think that board games are going to escape that anytime soon. Sadly, <laughs> yeah, it's a slow, it's a slow crawl to a brighter future. Hopefully, uh, speaking <laughs> uh, speaking about futures, shall we talk about the next game we have on tap? Yeah, so we are obviously returning to the digital realm. We are playing a game. It's, it's a new game, uh, but very reminiscent of of old school tropes. That is one you you mentioned earlier, I believe, uh, Norco. It's a point-and-click adventure game, very Southern Gothic, sorry, Southern Gothic dystopian sci-fi vibes set in Norco, Louisiana. Very old-school pixel art. It's free on Game Pass right now if you want to play along, so throw another coin in the the Game Pass shop. (laughs) That's right. It's another weird-ass indie game. (laughs) <laughs> of the variety I absolutely love on Game Pass. And it is um, PC only, I believe. It's not on console yes. to my recollection, but it, it runs great on PC. I've started playing it a bit, and I, I won't say much about it except to say I'm enjoying my experience so far, and I'm looking forward to wrapping it up soon and talking to you about it. Yeah, I've never had much patience for 
point-and-click adventure games. I, I always tend to bounce off them pretty quickly. Uh, the, the stories fascinate me, but the, the gameplay is always, always been frustrating. So I'm hoping this one uh, overcomes that. I, I, I started it just last night. I streamed my first couple of hours with the game. So you can, you can still catch that on, on Twitch and see my first impressions of it. And we'll be coming to you with our final thoughts <laughs> uh, next episode. Yeah, I, I think you you will be encouraged by what the game has to offer. Just a warning, slow slow opening though. It's a bit of a slow burn, so <laughs> give it a little bit, and then the real game sort of unfurls. So well, I, we'll I pet talk the cat. That. that was the last thing I did. I, I got as far as, as petting the cat. If that that should okay. tell you a lot. <laughs> cool. Very nice. And petting it, petting it many times. I will say. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that it's a cool world and i i enjoyed playing great western trail and uh i think you and i should keep at it because i want to get better yeah well speaking of which you can catch our twitch stream of that it, i mean the, the, the vods should still be available on twitch but i will be uploading that to youtube sometime soon so you can catch our two-player duel <laughs> if you like uh i've got a couple of quick things to plug that uh i will be dropping my first video review in quite some time i took a break for a few months while i, I recalibrate but i'm, I'm dropping a, a a review of founders of teotihuacan uh tomorrow i mean it should be out by the time you hear this podcast so uh go check that out at board game feast my my, my personal channel very cool i'm glad you mentioned the video on demand that was nice uh streaming that with you the other day i think we should uh give aries expedition or maybe even the digital terraforming mark to shot yeah we could find some combination of those two i guess depends on how how regularly we can get together for Ares expedition but yeah we could we could certainly stream stream some terraforming mars sometime soon perhaps even potentially cover it on an upcoming episode i wonder if we can rig something funky with you have a box copy i have a box copy that's a Ooh. big big deck maybe <laughs> we can you know make something happen physically i'm not sure how that would work because would it break would it break the game for both players to have the same deck of cards? I don't think it would. No. I mean we don't have that one city on the map that only one player can terraform, right? <laughs> it's it doesn't have any of that. It's just as long as we share one board where we do the upgrades. Anyways, I'm getting beside myself, mm, but yeah. that could be cool. <laughs> no, that, 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 that sounds like a good idea. Let's let's uh, work on that. <laughs> right on. A future episode. Well, for now, uh, thanks for playing. Yes, yeah, get, see you at the table. <laughs> Let's talk soon. All right, thanks, Mark. Bye. See ya, bye.